Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, legislation introduced to address hours of service changes for livestock haulers. We'll talk with the Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. The dairy industry launching a new campaign, make people aware of the importance of the dairy industry to our nation's economy. We'll talk with the President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council and former Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack about that a little bit later on. And we're going to talk with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We'll take a look at where are we as far as getting infrastructure updates in this country while we're watching what's going on in Brazil. China helping to fund some very important infrastructure improvements there. That tips that competitive balance in uh, the world. We've always enjoyed that competitive edge with our infrastructure system, but we find ourselves starting to fall behind as we're not able to uh, make the improvements that are needed in this country, while others like Brazil are. We'll talk about that with Mike Steenhook a little bit later on. But right now, as we've talked many times, things going on with the RFS. Joining us is the National Energy Markets reporter for Reuters, Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett, thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. I guess we start with, what, yet another White House meeting on biofuels? Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, the, I guess the one distinction here is that uh, the President Trump is not a part of this meeting, um, so it looks like uh, it's certainly going to be the undersecretaries of the Ag, Energy, and uh, EPA are meeting. And uh, from what I can gather, it seems like they're trying to kind of hash out the final details of what the White House wants to do moving forward in terms of the RFS. So I think this process feels like it's kind of coming to an end. Um, some might even say a new beginning here because uh, certainly uh, it's not going to be closure because there's going to be a lot of I guess, angst over whatever does come out of the, the White House. And meanwhile, we've heard now, you've, as you've reported, Marathon seeking a waiver? Yeah, yeah. We reported yesterday that uh, Marathon Petroleum, currently the second largest refiner in, in, in the country, is seeking a, a small refinery waiver. Uh, we don't know exactly for which location. Um, they have a Canton, Ohio uh, plant that is uh, their smallest and but we believe they may be uh, uh, submitting an application for a refinery they believe is kind of cut in half and a smaller smaller section qualifies. So a little murky on kind of which refinery they're, they're, they're putting an application for, but they are, they are certainly looking to get a waiver. And, of course, we do not know whether or not EPA will grant that waiver, and maybe this meeting uh, at the White House will uh, have some influence in that. We don't know. We'll wait and see. But uh, still, just the fact that they can uh, apply for these waivers, seemingly uh, a company that would not, we don't think of as small or, or facing hardship, uh, and the fact that the track record shows that these types of waivers have been granted by this uh, EPA uh, makes us kind of wonder what's going to happen here. Sure. I, I, I think if you're a small refinery or a small refiner, you're not happy that all these big companies are coming in and filing for the application. So if you believe that there is some uh, financial hardship borne by small refineries, um, the, the, the interest shown by these big mega companies um, certainly is going to raise 
suspicion about the merits of the program. And uh, so I think it's an interesting divide now. You see these refineries are not all on the same page. And, and, and uh, so I think that's something to, to watch. I mean, Marathon has, uh, I think, $3.4 billion in profits last year. They're buying Endeavor, um, another, another refiner, for $23.3 billion. I mean, these are big numbers. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to see how they fit into any any formula that 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 required that looks at um, that's financial hardship, and I, I do think it's also important to note that Marathon executives have been among the most vocal in terms of saying that the RFS doesn't doesn't cause them any um, financial hardship uh, that they they largely pass along the costs down the supply chain, and um, they've kind of gone out of their way to make that case. Um, so I, I do think there's some some irony here with their uh, their seeking the application. Yeah, curious uh, to say the least. It, it seems like what we've seen so far, anyway, that the approach or the justification or rationale, if you will, by EPA is they don't look at like we say, "Wow, Marathon, a huge company, big profits. Why would they be able to get a, a waiver?" Uh, but it seems like EPA doesn't say they're saying we don't look at marathon we're looking at an individual refinery within the umbrella of marathon and that seems to be the uh the distinction that they make in granting these is that right i i you know i think that's what we believe unfortunately you know we don't know we can't scrutinize the program because we don't we don't get to see any of the applications any of the approvals so we're kind of in the dark but i i, I believe that's right but it's also my understanding that, you know, part of the financial hardship would be whether you have access to blending and, you know, all those other kind of variables. And, and Marathon clearly kind of checks off all those boxes. I mean, they have, they have a huge retail arm in Speedway. Um, so, and it's not like their, their, their plants are super isolated. It's Ohio, um, if, if that's the one, and they have, you know, operate in Texas. So, um, you know, it's not like they're operating in Utah or Wyoming with have somewhat more of a rural markets, so you know. It's, honestly, it's just hard to it's hard to see where where Marathon and even its even its refiners on, a, on on an individual basis kind of fit into the the broader goals of the uh, small refinery hardship program. Yeah, sure. And seems EPA like may, a stretch. May, may may feel that right, and we have no reason to believe that we do, we don't know. Right. Um, and I think there is. I, I think we do have to at least give some deference to the fact that these are companies with shareholders and if there's if there's an opportunity to lower their cost they probably have some fiduciary responsibility to pursue all those things regardless of the merits or maybe the public criticism that that they uh they see so you know they do have some responsibility there whether you like this case this may be a litmus test for where we go forward, uh, where this EPA goes forward, and this administration, how it handles uh, these waivers moving forward. I guess what really needs to be done is for Congress to step in and rewrite this more clearly, but we know that takes forever for Congress to make a move like that. Yeah, I, I want to hold uh, your breath on that. It, uh, I mean, uh, we've, we've heard this Senator John Cornyn had a bill that was going to reform RFS. It's every uh, week passes, we don't see anything. Um, so it, it is a true struggle to get at you know anything done on on any kind of reform either way even uh either wish list from either side it's, it's a real challenge so i you know these kind of things do help kind of break the log jam because i think everybody sees there's a lot of a coalition of people that see um on different sides of the aisle here that see this is a, a problem these, these expansion of small refinery waivers but unfortunately it's uh, you know these are bargaining chips 
and they become bargaining chips to, to a broader goal, and that, and that kind of stalls even smaller reforms, I think. So it, it, it is a challenge one way or the other. I, I, I don't really know how this is all going to uh, flesh out here. And it, there would also be the risk if going in to try to change that language that it would open up the uh, statute and, and might bring other changes the renewable fuels industry would not want. So there's always that risk as well. Well, Jared, thanks a lot. We'll continue to watch your reporting. Be interested to see what comes out of this latest meeting. Thanks a lot. Hey, no problem. Thank you. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters. All right. Legislation has been introduced to address hours of service changes for livestock haulers. We'll talk about it with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Coming up next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. guys we're ready for our four season sunroom and daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments oh no we'll be sleeping under the stars mom what about the one with you know the fun nice try little bro it's a gym my gym hey grandma's getting her four seasons garden room weather tight and still like being outdoors maybe a living room oh no wait a family hub yeah no matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam, for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart, for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented MyPillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty 
and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right. Get four my pillows, two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to MyPillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The livestock industry has had real concerns about the current rules for hours of service for livestock haulers. Certainly has presented some very big challenges for the livestock industry and can really put at risk the health and well-being of livestock. So uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association certainly happy with new legislation that has been introduced that would reform the federal hours of service rules. Let's talk about it with Allison Rivera, National Cattlemen's Beef Association Executive Director of Government Affairs. Allison, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this uh, legislation that has been introduced. Absolutely. So uh, NCBA worked very closely with Senator Sass's Office of Nebraska to put forth a piece of legislation that really gets at uh, the issues that we've that we've seen in light of the ELDs, and that's the need for flexibility in hours of service. Uh, current hours of service sit at 11 hours of drive time, 14 on duty, and then a mandated 10-hour rest. Um, that obviously doesn't provide a lot of flexibility for the for our livestock haulers. And um, as we went down this path of concerns about the ELDs, we realized that we really just don't have a lot of flexibility in hours of service, and we have to do something about it. Yeah, ELDs, uh, for those not familiar, are electronic logging devices, and livestock callers scheduled to have to start using them to track their driving times and distances October 1st of this year. Obviously, um, Allison, a huge difference uh, with, when you're hauling livestock as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, whatever other product that's not a living product. So, I mean, you've got to take care of these animals, and these current rules really put them at risk. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, the the point that a lot of members of Congress that are supportive of this legislation and, and our efforts, they always like to point out that uh, there is a huge difference between transporting animals across this country and, and boxes of goods. And while all of those things need to get where they're going, we have this added piece of the welfare of the animals that has to be taken into consideration. So not only do we worry about the the safety of the driver and others on the road, but that third piece is the safety of the animals. And on top of that, the animals can be affected by the weather outside. Those those boxes are probably going to be just fine in the back of that trailer, but we have to worry about the animal welfare piece. Um, And so I think a lot of members of Congress get that. Okay. What else is in this bill? Uh, kind of break it down some more for us, how it would work, how it would address this issue, this issue of uh, how many hours they can drive and how much break they have to take. How, how is this addressed again? Sure. So currently um, agricultural haulers do have a 150 air mile exemption on the front end of a haul, and while we're, we're grateful for that, um, and that covers the uh, loading time, which can be sometimes volatile. This bill would actually add another 150 onto the front end of a haul. So we have 300 air mile exemption on the front end. And again, this is specific to livestock haulers. Um, the drive time would go from between 15 to 18 hours, depending on what the driver needs. Not everyone is going to need the full 18, but it increases that drive time of 11 to 15 to 18. 
And then it also grants flexibility in the rest time. So right now our drivers are resting when, when they need to, but they're also resting based on the weather outside and the safety of the animals. Um, and so this bill definitely specifies that we want drivers to rest, but we don't want it to count towards their hours of service. And so we want, re we want rest in the middle, um, but we don't want it mandated. And so it, it incentivizes some rest because it doesn't count towards hours of service. And then on the back end, we have another 150 air miles, um, which would include the unloading time, which also can, can take extra time. And so we add that extra 150 on the back end. And then we have a mandated rest at the end of the haul when the animals are safely unloaded off the trailer. Um, it would be a 10-hour rest if you take the 15 hours of drive time, and it would bump up to 13 hours of mandated rest if you take the 18. So I think overall this is a very comprehensive bill, but again, it provides flexibility and hours of service for livestock callers. We're talking with Allison Rivera, National Cattlemen's Beef Association Executive Director of Government Affairs. Allison, it looks like with this legislation, trying to strike a, a balance, uh, uh, taking care of the drivers, but taking care of the animals as well. You know, I think the biggest reminder that we give to um, to members of Congress and to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is that we remind them that the livestock hauling community has a strong safety record as of right now. Um, we have a strong safety record because the way these drivers have to haul these animals, um, again, they can't be driving erratically. They have to be driving safely because the welfare of those animals is, is another component of, of how they are, are, you know, transporting across this country. So we remind them that we have a strong safety record. We're simply asking for some flexibility um, on this bill. We don't have a bill number yet, but we, we have 11 original co-sponsors. Four of those are Democrats. So this is a bipartisan bill for members across the country because this is not just an issue in the Midwest. This is an issue for anyone hauling livestock across this country, which is, you know, basically every state. So um, I think what you see with this bill is a bipartisan piece of legislation and something that provides that flexibility within hours of service for the livestock community. The fact that it is bipartisan in this day and age, that uh, that makes it the unique <laughs> in and of itself. Absolutely. And hopefully that uh, bodes well then for, for moving it forward. You, you talked about the, the unique circumstances here in this case. I mean, these livestock haulers often uh, traveling very long distances. You know, I think part of uh, what we've been working on with uh, FMCSA and DOT as a whole through the last two years has been just educating them on the industry and what it takes to move animals across this country and why they have to move so far. Um, you know, we don't have uh, packing facilities in, in every state and, you know, that's accessible. Um, it's more expensive to send the feed down south than it is to move those animals up to the feedlots in the Midwest. And so just trying to explain to uh, DOT, who is, you know, we don't expect them to be a livestock hauler, um, you know, super knowledgeable in that area. And so uh, NCBA has gone over and tried to just get them to understand that this is the way the industry works. This is what has been working, and we've been doing it safely. And so we want to work with them uh, to make sure that we can continue to haul livestock where they need to go safely um, and that we can continue to, to feed uh, the U.S. and the world because we do it so well. Do you have any kind of a timeline, and what's the vehicle for this legislation? Is it standalone, or are you going to be attached to some another bill, or how will it work? Well, we're, we're certainly open to all of those things. I will say this is not the only piece of this, of this uh, puzzle, if you will, that 
where we're trying to fix and provide flexibility in hours of service. We have a lot of things that are moving. We have a, a lot of items that are that are either we're working with FMCSA directly or we're working with Congress. Honestly, with this issue, it is so important that we are trying to find a pathway for for o- almost anything. And so we're this bill is just another piece of that puzzle. Uh, we feel like this bill has been has been put out there. This is an opportunity for members of Congress to show their support. Uh, the plan is to continue to get co-sponsors on this Senate bill, and then in probably the first week of June, we will have a House bill that will be uh, probably the exact same language, and it will drop on the House side. And again, this gives members of Congress the opportunity to show their support for the livestock calling community and for our producers and to show that they know that something needs to happen. Um, and so we're going to continue to uh, to work with the Senate and the House, find a vehicle that, that makes sense, uh, continue to work with uh, these members to get them to sign on to this bill. So I would love to ask your listeners to call their members of Congress and tell them how important it is that they co-sponsor this legislation. Obviously, uh, the sooner this is done, the better it needs to be done now. But uh, is that October 1st date uh, where haulers are scheduled to have to start using ELDs to track their driving times and distances? Is that kind of a... Uh, a deadline you're looking at you want to get it done before then it's it's certainly it's certainly out there um you know there is always the possibility of uh congress uh, passing another omnibus which would mean that that language would would continue on through whatever length of time that uh, uh that uh, or, or continuing resolution whatever the next budget pathway looks like that language could be maintained so we don't want to we don't want to um put all of our eggs in that basket and take that for granted. So in my mind, I am using that as a date where I got to get something done by. But uh, in this day and age in D.C., one never knows. And so we're going to keep our eyes open to all possibilities. And with the crowded schedule, you know, with what's going on in Congress right now, they've got some heavy lifts already and uh, kind of a short calendar getting shorter all the time. So timing and finding that right vehicle, all that's going to be critical here to get this done. Absolutely, and, and that's why, again, this, this legislation is just a piece of a larger puzzle. We're going to continue to have conversations with the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Um, the other day we saw uh, a very large group of bipartisan uh, senators that sent a letter to FMCSA on behalf of, of um, all of those uh, hauling goods across this country, just asking FMCSA to provide some flexibility in hours of service. That wasn't specific to agriculture or livestock haulers, but... It was a letter to um, the FMCSA administrator, Mr. Martinez, just pleading with them to to stop and take a look at current hours of service and and uh, the need for some change there. So, um, we're not livestock callers aren't the only group out there uh, talking about this issue. Um, this bill is specific to livestock, but we're going to continue to have this conversation. All right, Allison, thanks for the update. We'll be watching. Appreciate it. Thank you, Allison Rivera. Executive Director, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, coming up next, a new campaign by the dairy industry. We'll tell you all about it here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be no matter how urban or rural you must always call 811 before any digging project 811 is our national one call number 
alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. For livestock at the American Cattle Futures, we've had a choppy mix in live cattle in early activity, about 57 cents on either side of steady for the front months. Feeder cattle trending near unchanged August and September. This week's cash cattle trade for physical cattle has yet to start. Feed yard operators asking for around 115 per hundred weight in line with last week. Analysts say, though, that trade might not get started until after Friday's cattle on feed report. That should give traders an indication of whether or not feed yards are easing their herd expansion. If those numbers come in larger than expected, that could pressure prices in the weeks to come as market watchers anticipate growing supplies. Today's cattle slaughter estimated at 119,000 head, 1,000 head more than a week ago, nearly 2,000 head more than a year ago. Lean hog futures trending 30 to 70 cents lower. Steady cash expectations today. Soybean export sales falling last week, in part due to a major cancellation by international buyers amid trade tensions. USDA saying that net soybean sales for this year fell by 140,000 metric tons with 7,000 tons in sales for next year. The futures, though, performing Okay, in light of that news, three to four and a fraction higher an hour into the trading day. July, 1043 and a quarter, up four cents. Corn, fractional changes. New crop December, unchanged, 426 and a half. For the wheats, we're advancing four to five and a fraction higher in Kansas City. Chicago, four to six and a half higher. And four to five and a fraction higher in Minneapolis, spring wheat. Wall Street, the Dow down 156, NASDAQ down 27, S&P down 15, crude down 69 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Did you realize the U.S. dairy industry supports nearly 3 million workers? 
and generates more than $39 billion, that's with a B, in direct wages, and has an overall economic impact of more than $628 billion. Well, the dairy industry is going to try to get that kind of information out to you and uh, and highlight the the impact, the positive impact that the dairy industry has and contributes to our nation's economy. Here to talk about this new campaign is former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack. Good to talk with you again. These are these are impressive numbers, and you have quite a story to tell. Well, Mike, it is a story, and it's an, an important story not just for the dairy industry to tell, but for, frankly, for all of the food and agriculture industry to tell. I don't think people realize the significance of the food and agriculture industry generally. Uh, 43 million jobs connected to the food and agriculture industry, uh, 20% of our economy connected to it. Uh, dairy obviously contributing a significant part to that. Uh, I think it's an important message, and I think as we look at, at trying to figure out ways to get farm bills passed and uh, resources for farmers and trade deals negotiated, I think it's important to emphasize the significance of this part of our economy uh, so that it becomes a priority. So tell us about this uh, Got Jobs campaign. Well, the International Dairy uh, Food Association, IDFA, basically commissioned a study to take a look and to try to find out if we could pin down precisely how many jobs, how much in wages, how, what, we, what, what the economic impact was of the dairy industry, and also, importantly, how much tax was being paid by the industry. And as you indicated, uh, a significant number, uh, nearly 3 million jobs uh, supported by this industry, $628 billion impact annually uh, in this industry, paying $39 billion in wages and, and billions of dollars in state, local, and federal taxes. Uh, and the, the point of this is to also pin this down by state and by congressional district so that when dairy uh, farmers, uh, when processors and producers and co-ops go to speak to their elected representatives, they're now in a position to provide specific information. We also have complemented that with the U.S. Dairy Export uh, Review of State-by-State State Impact of Dairy Exports. Obviously, ex- exports also contribute uh, to the industry, jobs, uh, as well as economic impact. And so now our producers, our processors are equipped with the data and the statistics to be able to say, you need to pay attention to this industry and you need to understand the significance of it to our U.S. economy. So you have a website they can go, people can go to to get this information? Yeah, DairyGotJobs.org is the, is the website. Uh, opportunity for people to take a look at this, and, uh, and, and uh, the IDFA website also has it as well. Uh, the U.S. DEC website makes reference to it as well. So there are a variety of ways in which people can get this information. Uh, bottom line, uh, we want people to know about this, uh, and we're going to continue to, to promote the dairy industry. As you know, Mike, we, we launched about a year ago uh, an opportunity to, uh, to reacquaint uh, the rest of the country with the importance of dairy, uh, the, the, the joy, the, the, the nutrition, uh, the, uh, the, the wellness associated with dairy consumption. And this Got Jobs campaign is really an add-on uh, to that effort to make sure that people are aware of the significance and importance that dairy plays in our lives, whether it's providing a, a nutritious a treat uh, or whether it's uh, uh, providing a job. Uh, dairy is important. So as part of this Got Jobs, Dairy Creates Jobs, Exports Create More campaign, uh, you'll be uh, what sharing uh, some very interesting stories uh, from dairy farmers and from dairy employees and others involved in the supply chain to get that message out? That's right. And and we'll have an opportunity uh, on June 1st with uh, World Milk Day to, to uh, basically reinforce this message and continue throughout the summer and the fall 
uh, with a social media campaign, with uh, an opportunity for people to tell their story, uh, to get the word out. You know, we've, we've got a story to tell, Mike, and, and uh, it's a great story. It's a story of a stable supply, an ever-growing supply, uh, even though we're using less land, less water, uh, less inputs than we have in the past to, to produce more milk. It's a story about jobs. It's a story about sustainability and stewardship. Uh, it, it's a great story to tell. And I think for far too long we've been unwilling or unable or didn't think it was necessary or too humble to tell the story. Uh, well, in this day and age, if you don't tell your story, no one else is going to tell it. So uh, I think it's really important for us to get out there and, and uh, emphasize the significant impact that dairy industry has uh, uh, throughout the country. So check it out, gotdairyjobs.org. We're talking with Tom Vilsack, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, former secretary of agriculture. have to ask you about uh, the immigration issue, which is so critical to the dairy industry, uh, right now that uh, it's front and center again as it kind of put the uh, the uh, farm bill on the back burner until they do something on immigration in the House. Looks like a vote coming up in June. I know you're watching that very closely. Well, look, Mike, everybody in the country, and certainly everybody in the countryside and everybody in the Congress understands that we have a broken immigration system. And it has caused a great deal of anxiety and anguish uh, in the dairy industry. A number of ICE raids have caused confusion uh, in terms of workforce. We have a dedicated group of people working in the dairy industry, and many of them are, are, are immigrants. And some of them came into the country probably not appropriately and not properly, um, but they've been in the country for years and years and years, and they have become part of a dairy operation, uh, and, and dairy operations depend on that workforce. Uh, we've got to fix this immigration system. We've got to find a way to bring people out of the shadows, to to provide them a, a, an avenue, uh, to allow them to acknowledge a wrongdoing, as we do in this country, uh, paying a fine or paying a fee, uh, going to the back of the line before they can qualify for, for citizenship, but getting them in a position where they can be a reliable workforce uh, and allow our dairy industry to continue to use these people who over the last 10, 15, 20 years have been on these farms doing the job every single day, 24-7. Uh, and it's unfortunate that we use these issues to then make it more difficult to get a, a, a farm bill through the process. It's tough enough to get it through the process without adding on to it a very contentious issue like immigration. Uh, but it's about time, high time, uh, for Congress to do its job and get this immigration system fixed, get it fixed right uh, so we can move on uh, and get a farm bill done so we can get the kind of relief and assistance that farm bills provide to folks out in the countryside. Your thoughts on NAFTA? Uh, it looks like this could uh, go a while yet. Well, you know, it's uh, it, it's unfortunate because the delay uh, in getting NAFTA done means that Canada continues to utilize Class 7, continues to have a closed market uh, to our dairy products, and that has obviously caused a lot of stress out there in the countryside. We're seeing, unfortunately and tragically, a lot of dairy operations having to consider shutting, shutting down, and, and, and people are very very serious about this and it's just unfortunate the usda just announced a purchase of cheese which will be helpful and uh, exports are our our march export number was a record number in terms of volume sold uh, so we're you know we're, we're, we're doing things uh, to try to make it a little bit better but at the end of the day we need that canadian market open and we need to preserve what's working in mexico and we need to get the nafta renegotiations to a point where there is some stability now there's a lot of uncertainty as you well know in the trades area today, uncertainty about China, uncertainty about the Asian markets, uncertainty about Japan and its impact with the EU and free trade agreement. Um, we've got to get some certainty back into the system so people can can continue to produce the milk, 
continue to produce the products that are the best in the world. Let's talk about China. There's so much excitement right now and hope that they're going to be buying uh, even more from the U.S. Will dairy be involved in that? Uh, do you think that we'll see uh, uh, increased market share there? Well, uh, I will tell you that we, we're communicating with the administration to make sure they understand that there are great opportunities for expanded exports in China. Uh, if the, the tariff that is currently assessed against U.S. dairy products is reduced, it was reduced unilaterally by the Chinese last year, and that was good news, but it still does. It's, we're still not competitive with our friends in New Zealand. Uh, we need a reduction in that tariff. We need uh, permeate to be utilized and uh, authorized for food use in addition to feed use, as Codex has recently uh, authorized. Uh, we need uh, that market opportunity uh, to be a little fairer and a little more open. Uh, my hope is that when Secretary Ross uh, negotiates with the uh, the Chinese that he doesn't forget uh, the dairy industry, he doesn't forget agriculture. Obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about steel and aluminum and things of that nature in cars. But that's, again, getting back to our first point, that's why it's important to have the Got Jobs uh, program to, to remind not just uh, uh, the rest of the world but also our own administration that, that, the, that the, the agriculture industry is an incredibly important industry to the economy. It employs a lot of people. It has an impact on the economy. And as we go into trade discussions, it has to be at the top of the list in terms of prioritization. So there are opportunities there, no question about it. Uh, and I know that Secretary Purdue has been advising Secretary Ross, and, and I sincerely hope that uh, when Secretary Ross comes back uh, that we have uh, movement on some of these key issues. When last time we talked, uh, we talked about concerns about Mexico and the EU having a deal, and would Mexico uh, start, uh, you know, restricting the use of uh, names of certain cheeses as the EU wants? Uh, can you update us on that? Has anything happened since we talked last on that? Uh, other than we've just basically uh, indicated to the Mexican government our disappointment that this has actually taken place. Of course, you know, when we pulled out of the TPP agreement, we pulled out of a, a structure that would have probably prevented this kind of agreement from being reached because we would have had in place a, a variety of, of protections and due processes in terms of GIs. But we, we have to deal with the way the world is. Now what we're essentially saying to the Mexican government is, look, as you finalize this agreement, as you start dotting the I's and crossing the T's, need to be as restrictive as possible in terms of these GIs because it not only impacts our industry here in the U.S., but also the Mexican industry. And we will then, after the agreement is finalized and we know precisely what the, what the deal is, we'll have to take a look and see whether or not this agreement is consistent with the Mexican Constitution. Is it consistent with Mexican law? Is it consistent with international treaties that they've previously uh, entered into? And if there are inconsistencies with the Constitution, law, or treaties, then it gives us an, an, an avenue to raise additional questions. All right, so we encourage people to check it out, gotdairyjobs.org. We'll be looking forward to hearing more about uh, uh, this great story of dairy and its uh, place in our economy and how important it is to our economy. Good to talk with you, Mr. Secretary. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Tom Vilsack, President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, former Secretary of Agriculture. All right, coming up next. Anything happening with infrastructure? We're getting anything done? They are in Brazil, thanks to some funding from China. We'll talk about that with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. The mighty Prosaro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. I live alone, so when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center, where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone. For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing.
Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time we spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing. Manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10 year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four my pillows, two premium pillows, and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800 871 7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout, use promo code FARM11. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So I've been reading about how China is putting money into infrastructure improvements in Brazil. Got me thinking, where are we at with our infrastructure improvements here in the United States? Let's talk about it with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. First, it caught my attention that uh, Brazil is going to update their infrastructure system thanks to money from from China, Chinese investment. Uh, that That's pretty significant. That I would think we would take note of that in this country. Yeah, and it, it, it reached a record in 2017, uh, or at least a seven-year high of uh, just shy of $25 billion of investment from China into Brazil. And a lot of those, a lot of that investment was directed toward infrastructure and the infrastructure that allows soybeans and other agricultural products to have a more efficient pipeline to, to China. And so, you know, there's nothing nothing wrong with China doing that. They invest, they've long invested in other countries, including Brazil. But I, I think that should be just a wake-up for us that we need to make sure that we're investing in ourselves. And, you know, one of the things that I think our country makes a mistake of, of you know, falling into the trap of is the fact that investment is a one-time activity. Investment is not a one-time activity. It's a perpetual activity. And just because you made an investment years ago doesn't mean that that's going to that that's sufficient. You need to continue to invest in yourself, and that's what great nations do. That's what great industries do, and I, I hope this is kind of serves as a reminder for us to, to get our act together. We've talked about this before, but we've long enjoyed a competitive edge because of our infrastructure system being so much better than many of our competitors. But with our system eroding and others improving, that gap is certainly narrowing, isn't it? It certainly is, and you, you've seen the, the trend lines, and a lot of it's due to some of this investment that's been made in the northeast part of Brazil, which provides a more efficient linkage between some of the growing areas of Brazil and the Asian market. And and so we have seen that competitive advantage erode. And, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do about what happens in Brazil, but there's a whole lot we can do about what happens in the United States. And, and so that's one of the things that I routinely do is to, is to convey this to policymakers and 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 for them to understand that hey this is what's happening elsewhere and if we remain lackadaisical about investing in our infrastructure you don't have to be much of a profit to envision a time where we're no longer the more econ- the most economical choice and and that day very well could be upon us uh, if we don't 
keep pace and be strategic in investing in ourselves. So is anything happening? Are we making any progress, anything uh, in the works uh, as, as far as infrastructure improvements here? It, you know, very piecemeal. Now, there was, there was a, with the kind of the omnibus funding bill that was recently passed, there was kind of an, a, a pretty significant infusion of money in uh, a number of sectors, including uh, for the Army Corps of Engineers related to locks and dams. So we, we are making some improvements, but it's, it's not, it's still inad, inadequate. And what I would like to see more of is having more of a, a of an investment mentality versus a spending mentality and we we just we we so much focus in this country on the today on allocating resources today in exchange for immediate gratification and when you have an investment mentality you're allocating resources today in exchange for value tomorrow and i think you know the, we see that behavior with the the, the chinese and, and just because they're a centrally planned economy that doesn't mean that we as a democracy can't be strategic. We can't have a long-term vision. We can't have an investment mentality. We've had that in the past. And just the, the key is to kind of recapture that. And so it's our hope that it doesn't look like anything's going to happen uh, significantly on infrastructure uh, before the midterm elections. And it's our hope that once, the, uh, once that occurs, that we can actually um, muster the will and, and must, muster the, particularly the political will to actually get something done it just doesn't seem to be a national priority and i mean it's a concern if it's your bridge your road or you or you see the direct impact of a a lock and dam uh but for as far as the the, on the national radar screen it just doesn't seem to be resonating like it needs to well you know one of the things that when i've seen success occur on this and i think we saw this with the 2014 water resources reform and development act is trying to make sure you package the argument more in terms of the micro argument versus the macro argument. And a lot of times I think people make the mistake of, of describing the multi-billion, multi-trillion dollar implication of something. And what we've tried to do is to try to distill it down to how is this relating to a particular industry, a particular farmer. And that message was very effectively transmitted uh, regarding the inland waterways in the 2014 WERDA bill, Water Resources Reform and Development Act, and and talking about how it impacts soybean farmers, and that's something that got a lot of traction. So I think the, the I think the key for us moving forward is making sure it's very relatable, and for us that means the impact on a soybean farmer, the impact on agriculture, um, instead of what the big macro number is that a lot of people can't relate to the multi-billion or trillion dollar number. So I think that's very key for us moving forward. Now, I just thought this would be an issue that we would get bipartisan support would be a, you know, something that would really move, but uh, it, it's, it's bogged down just like it has been in the past. And it seems like it's, it, it continues to get worse. And, you know, when you look at, and this is regardless of your one's political persuasion, when you look at what is occupying the time and energy of our decision makers in Washington, D.C., whether it's the administration or Congress, a, a, only a very small percentage of that uh, would be classified as doing the people's business, checking off uh, the American people's to-do list. Um, and there's a lot of things that are being that they're spending a lot of time on a lot of energy on that really isn't going to make life better for the american people 
And so, uh, it, you know, it's something that we need to continue to be insistent upon, um, that we need to work diligently on. Um, you know, if we don't, if we're not willing to be engaged and make our voices heard on this, then we shouldn't expect other people to do it for us. And, you know, our competitiveness as an industry really depends upon it. And so mm-hmm. that's something that we're going to continue to do and looking for opportunities for some wins, some tangible wins. Uh, let's hope we find some and get some soon. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. That wraps it up for today here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. I'm Mike Adams. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.